You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 99. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Today's episode is something new and something really casual I am trying out which is just basically sitting here answering your questions. This is my birthday week. My birthday is on Thursday. I'll be turning 31. And in honor of that, I wanted to answer your questions that you might have for me so that I can serve you. So let's get started. Thank you everyone who did submit a question. I did this through my email list for everyone that's on the list. They got an email yesterday, which was Monday, asking for the questions you guys had. Some of them are business related, some are life, some are lively show, some are personal, some are home design, you name it. There are tons of questions. I was not able to obviously answer every question I received. At this point, we're getting a new one every few minutes. So we're at over, I think, 85 at this point. So I just picked 20 questions of the ones that have come in so far to answer now, but I will look through these questions that I do not get to for possible mini editions on Tuesdays in the future. So let's get started. First is Tanika. She asked, how did you or how would you suggest transitioning from a full-time job to a career slash job you love of entrepreneurship, even when you need to continue to work to provide? Tanika, I love this question. And I'm actually going to ask you to listen to Thursday's episode this week with Elizabeth Gilbert. She actually talks about how to do something you love and be creative as well as making sure you are providing for yourself. And I think she answered it so eloquently. I want to refer you there for the answer to this question. Question. Next, Rebecca asked, what is your schedule? Do you keep regular business hours? How early do you get up, bedtime, etc.?" This is a really interesting question, Rebecca. I know I really am curious about other people's habits too. So here's where I'm at right now. Of course, this every few months may change slightly or dramatically depending on the situation. But let's see, I get up between 6.30 and 7, depending on how I've slept that night. I'm kind of a light sleeper. So sometimes it's not the best sleep for me. And in that case, I'm happy to push the 6.30 to 7 o'clock or 7.10 if needed. I think I even did that today, in fact. Once I get up, then I have my morning routine, which you guys have probably heard me speak about in the past. I'm really big into morning routines. The pieces of it that I never let go of are recently doing a gratitude journal, just simply writing down five things that I am grateful for. I also meditate for 10 minutes. Let's see, (laughs) what else do I like to do? I also like to read a book, usually just one book now. I used to do two. One was a spiritual book and one was a nonfiction book. But because I've started adding the meditation in, instead of reading a spiritual book, and meditating, I'm typically doing a nonfiction book. So that's kind of my morning. And then I get ready and get out to the coffee shop if I have time to work on my own for a while. I really love working at the coffee shop here in Ann Arbor. It's been really nice to get out of the house. And sometimes I'll walk the dogs in the morning too. But I ideally like to be working by some point in the 8.30 to 9.30 range, ideally, depending on how much I've worked out, if I've run or if I've showered or anything like that, that could push it back. But anyways, so then I'm working during the day, then the afternoon may have calls or meetings, podcast episode recordings, etc. And then I try to end around five, but that's usually not the case. I am recording this actually at 
5.50 p.m. So I'll probably be finishing up after six. And then in the evening, spend time with Mr. Lively and the dogs. We like to either go out to eat, which is my personal favorite thing to do, or we'll eat at home. And I really like my evenings in life outside of work to be really routine for the most part during the work week. I spend so much energy and effort doing brand new things all the time in work that I really like my routines outside of work. So then I try to go to bed around nine to 10 o'clock after watching a murder mystery of some sort. Usually it's Murder, She Wrote, or maybe Nashville too. We are also kind of getting into the fall television that's coming out now. Then between nine and 10, getting into bed and reading my cat who books, which is so dorky, but I love them. And going to bed around 10 to 10.30. Now, Hillary asked, I'm curious, how is the new house coming along? Have you tried any new decor trends in this house that you haven't tried in the past? Or are you sticking to the classic looks that are tried and true for you? So far, I have really done a neutral palette, very similar to how I did in the past in Austin. But because we also have the same stuff, you know, we're trying to reuse what we have for the most part. I'm not really getting rid of anything this time around. We've added a few new pieces as needed, but the color palette's pretty neutral. I'm really liking the black, white, and kind of caramel leather brown color that's really popular right now and I'm just really drawn to it. Of course, I'll always probably have hits of coral as well, at least in the guest room where I work too, but pretty much I just use the same stuff and remix it as needed. Things have gone to different places in the house than they were before, which is kind of fun to see things mixed in a new way. But overall, it's the same stuff and just kind of done given our current circumstances and given the house that we're in now. Next up, Harriet asked, do you have any advice for starting a values-based blog and not getting caught up in things like subscribers and followers? This is a great question, Harriet, and something that I continue to remind myself as well. And it's been amazing to see that the show has grown so much and continues to grow. But I remember blogging for six years and pretty much hitting a plateau for many of those years, having the same amount of traffic, if you will. So maybe my subscribers might grow incrementally, but the traffic itself to the site month over month was generally in the same range for many, many of those years. So I can understand what it's like to get caught up in those things. As you guys know, I'm writing a book on the subject of worth and work and identity. So this is something I'm still working through, no pun intended, but I would say figure out why you're doing it. What are your uppercase V values for your site and stick to that and then let the rest of it fall where it may. As Elizabeth Gilbert in Thursday's episode says, we are entitled to live our values. We are not entitled to the outcome of what happens based on those values. That sounds a little bit crazy, but if you listen to the episode, you'll learn why then. But I'll just say, stick to your values. I continue to remind myself just because I could get bigger guests more and more often, that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily delivering on my message in the same way as I aspire to. So it doesn't always mean that I have to have bigger guests that might get more downloads. I will often bring on guests you guys may have never heard of before, which means it's less likely that people will click play. So people are more likely to click names and topics that they're heard of before. But when I want to introduce, for example, a professor I truly admired from college that's not necessarily gonna get the most downloads as if I interviewed someone like Young House Love. And even when I go for that kind of guest, I wanna make sure that the episode delivers on value. So it doesn't matter who you're listening to on the show, I wanna make sure that the value is there regardless of 
those subscribers and followers moving the needle, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how I work on it is always stay true to the values and let the outcomes be what they are. And I truly have found that by sticking to those values and not just going for how big of a guest can I get next and only showing you guys names you may have heard of before, that people are really learning that there's so much more to this work and they're learning also to trust that I'm working really hard to bring the best possible value I can, whether you've heard of the guest before or not. So maybe that kind of relates to you, Harriet, with your own content. Make sure you deliver on your values and let the outcomes be where they are. And as Elizabeth says in her episode, don't force your creativity to take the burden of supporting yourself. So that's something she'll share more about that might be helpful as well. Next up, Amy asked, my question is, how do you stick to habits in order to achieve goals? I feel like I'm pretty clear on what I want to do slash be, but I lack follow through. Any advice? So I can totally relate to this, Amy. And I would say that if you have a hard time achieving goals, maybe goals are not right for you right now. Maybe it's time to listen to your values and follow those from your intuition in the present moment, given your current circumstances, than trying to set and achieve goals that may possibly be ego-driven in the first place. Often I find the things that are hard to follow through aren't often ego-driven. It's not always the case. Sometimes the ego will create resistance to things that your intuition has told you to do. But even when the intuition tells you to do something, it's usually not a goal. It just tells you to go do something. It doesn't say, and then X is the specific outcome you have to get. I would just say, check in with your intuition, make sure what you are trying to achieve is actually something your intuition wants, and then maybe let go of the specific target outcome and focus on just finding a way to express that value in your current circumstances right now. I think that'll clear up a lot of heaviness and frustration around that area and might help you get further than you are right now. Next up, Lindsay asked, how can I use values-based intentions when dating? I'm 25 and at the age where friends are starting to settle down. I want to find a good guy, but also want to focus on my career and enjoy being in my 20s. Going on a series of bad online dates can be frustrating. Wondering how I can use values-based intentions in my dating life. This is a great question, Lindsay, and I am so excited for it. So I am using this recent intention. I can't remember the Life with Intention online member who shared it, but I love it. I think the quote is actually from a Ashtanga yoga teacher, which I do not know the name of. So for those who are yoga buffs, you might know what I'm talking about here. The intention is practice and all is coming. So what I would ask you to do is to figure out what your values are for the type of relationship you're looking for, and then go out with the mindset that you are practicing this dating and have faith that all is coming. That kind of takes the pressure off. You can kind of practice the art of dating as you go out into the world, clear on your values. So it doesn't mean you're going to stick around with a guy that's not aligned with the values that you have, and then have faith that while you're doing that, something good is coming through it. So it doesn't mean you stick around with a guy. It doesn't mean you freak out. It means you are living your values, whether you're in a relationship, dating or not, and all is coming. I think that's a really great way to keep this in mind and have faith and kind of calm the ego down when it wants to look around at your friends and compare where you are to where they are. The last thing you want to do is settle for something that is not aligned with your values. Values, and years later, look back on that and go, wow, I really should have thought about that clear before and had faith. So that would be my suggestion for you, Lindsay. I hope it helps. And now on to Renee. She asked, I would love to know about your childhood, how your parents raised such an ambitious, brilliant, and self-confident woman. All the heart emojis to you this week. Well, thank you, Renee. I appreciate those heart emojis. And I will say 
my parents always believed in me. They told me basically since I was young that I could do whatever I wanted, especially my father really saw that I was a smart, intelligent person. He really encouraged those traits in myself as well and said basically I could be anything I wanted, president, you name it. So I definitely had a lot of I guess I would say encouragement when it came to things like career and being smart. I was also not the prettiest looking kid on the block back then. I had very, very curly, frizzy hair, a unibrow, glasses, braces. It was definitely, actually, I can tell you guys, I looked like Hermione Granger as she is described in the book. Not Emma Watson, who's super beautiful, but the actual Hermione, that I like have photos to prove. I looked like her growing up and read all the books and all that kind of stuff. So I guess I would say they focused on my mental strengths. And as a result, I think that really gave me the courage to do what I do, I guess, at the end of the day. But at the same time, I have to be careful now not to put my self-worth into my work. As you guys know, I'm writing that book because I have had the tendency to do that after beating the eating issues I had over the years. So there's that as far as the ambitious, brilliant, self-confident woman piece. Other pieces of my childhood, I am the oldest of two brothers, or I guess of three siblings, if you will. And we grew up in Ohio and then moved to Michigan when I was eight. I stayed there until I went to the University of Michigan and then moved off to Chicago. Our childhood, we grew up on a boat. Well, we grew up with a house, but we also had a boat in Michigan where we would go out on the weekends and for a few weeks in the summer and spend time boating around all the different ports along the Michigan shoreline, which was actually where my jewelry company began through making ankle bracelets at the marina pool and then later making them at picnic tables at different ports along the coast. And then I would take the jewelry into the stores in each port and ask them if they would like to buy it, which ended up getting me into 12 stores, believe it or not, in high school. So that was kind of an interesting scenario where I didn't like being on the boat. I know that sounds terrible and ungrateful to say, but for us as kids, we were taken away from our friends who were around in the summer or from all of our classmates. We didn't have friends. We were just kind of stuck together on the boat. So I guess it would have been different had we had internet connection and phones to keep in touch with people, but really we kind of felt isolated. So I kind of made the best of what I had, which was turned the trips that we were on into little business trips for myself, if you will. So yeah, I don't know. I think those are pieces of my childhood you guys may have not have known of. I also was very athletic. As a very young girl, I did a lot of dance classes, but I am just not coordinated in that way and really found more comfort in gymnastics and soccer. And so from there, I did cross country and went to states for that in high school. I was also on the basketball team, the soccer team, and the track team. So I did a lot of sports. That was definitely my thing because music and rhythm were definitely my weaknesses. Samara asked, I wanted to know how it's been going on the hormone detox plan. Do you feel different? Is it easy to follow? Great question, Samara. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have been doing modules one and two of Elisa Vitti's Flow Living course, but I have basically, because of the launch of Life with Intention and then running the course, not had as much time to prepare the meals as I would like. So I have not been fully living the variety of plant matter I should eat at certain times of the day and that kind of thing. But what I have done is made the simple changes and continue to stick to them that I knew I could make given the time constraints I've had. So I have stuck to a 99% dairy and gluten-free diet for the last 
month or two, I would say. And I have not done the caffeine until I've eaten breakfast. That's another thing that she mentioned. So I've stuck to those things, hoping to keep the blood sugar regulated. And I have been working to add more things like avocados, which are very good for hormones and other leafy greens and green juices into my diet as much as possible. But Like I said, I'm cutting myself slack given my current circumstances and just making sure I'm hitting the major guidelines and I'll start cycle syncing and all of those other things when I have more time this winter to really get the hang of it and really implement everything that's being shared. But as far as feeling different goes, I definitely do. I feel so much less irritated personally as a mental emotional place and also physically whenever I do make a small little fudge here or there it's only happened a few times where I've had a little bite of gluten or dairy I notice it and I don't feel good and it's actually gotten to the point where eat what my intuition tells me to eat until satisfied is actually making me not want to eat the gluten and dairy from an intuitive level which was surprising because at the deep core in the past, I really loved gluten and dairy. I loved macaroni and cheese. And now I'm actually genuinely starting to prefer other things. So it's pretty easy to follow the gluten dairy free thing. Unless you're going out, it can be tricky, but it's not even so much tricky as sometimes sad that you want like 17 things on the menu that have gluten and dairy in them and you're not eating them in that moment or ordering them. I think ordering is probably the hardest part But then once you get past that and you get the meal that you order, you feel so much better for so many hours afterwards. It's totally worth it. So I'm really finding that it's easy to follow. And my friend Ashley, who's my bestie from Austin, she and I have both been doing this for the same amount of time. And she and I both had trouble at first. And now we really are finding it's not that big a deal once we've gotten used to what we can eat and what we can't. So I think there's kind of a learning curve that goes with it. But after that, it gets pretty easy and you feel so much better that it's not that big a deal. Next up, Britta asked, I made a goal 18 months ago that I would be able to quit my day job by March of 2015. I've made tons of progress and I'm very proud of how far I've come. However, I'm really nowhere near being able to quit my day job. So I really struggle with staying motivated sometimes. And to be honest, sometimes I wonder how long I should pursue the photography dream before moving on and let it just be a hobby instead of a career. This is a great question, Britta, and I've been, hopefully you've noticed, speaking about this more through the conversations and interviews on The Lively Show lately. We talked about it with Ashley Lemieux. I'm also speaking about it with Elizabeth Gilbert on Thursday, but I'll just say, let it be what it is right now. It doesn't need to be anything other than where it is right now. If you're part-time, that's what it should be. If you later be full-time, that's what it should be. Stop making it have to be something that it's not. Let it be fully what it is right now. And when it comes to the job, if you still need it and you're valuing the income that comes from it, appreciate that job and that income and fully serve every hour that you're there so that you have the freedom and the good energy from that serving and from that fulfillment and purpose in the day job to bring that energy and positivity to the photography in whatever form it is. I think there's so much shame and frustration and forcing going on in society around skills and creativity, trying to force purpose equaling a paycheck. And I really believe it's short-sighted. I think it's oversold. And I think that it's causing more frustration than it is joy, which is the opposite of what this whole experience is supposed to be about. So I'd really encourage you to stay true to your values. Right now you're valuing stability and security with this income at your job. If your intuition's telling you to leave, then get the heck out of there. I'm not saying to stay, but if you're there and it's telling you to stay, 
do it joyfully so you have that joy to bring to your other passions too. And I think that there is something to be said for having two things or three things or not forcing something to be income. I love interior design. I did it as a ho- as a designer for a few interior projects and most notably the hotel lobby that I designed in Chicago. And I found that for myself, I didn't want to do it for a day job. For me, it took all the joy and passion out of what I love so much, and I knew I needed to keep it sacred. So if you find as you get going that photography feels that way to you, keep it in your sacred space and let it be something you do because you love it and because you don't want to do it for someone else. On the other hand, I love what I do for my career too, so I'm not saying that you as a photographer could not make a wonderful living in that area if your intuition wants you to do so. So If it's there and you're just not where you want to be yet, let go of the goal. Who needs a goal that's arbitrarily going to get you there? Living in your values in this moment is the thing that's going to bring you joy and fulfillment, which is what you're looking for all along. So stay true to what your intuition is telling you to do. Relax about where you think you should be because it's just ego shooting all over yourself and let it be wonderful just as it is. And again, if your intuition is telling you to leave the day job, don't stay any moment longer than it's telling you to. Go find something new if that's what it's urging you to do. If it's not, stay true to what you're doing. Give and serve in the present moment and everything's going to happen faster and more joyfully for you as a result. Next up, Sarah asked, how do you best keep in touch with family and friends that live far away? This is a great question, and I have family and friends that live far away. We just moved to Ann Arbor. We moved to Austin and didn't have family there until my younger brother moved uh, about six months ago to Austin. I find that it's easiest to keep in touch with people in ways that they like to be kept in touch with. So with Michael, my youngest brother, we Snapchat. With my mom, I talk to her twice a week, once in the start of the week, once before the end of the week on the phone. With my dad, I talk to him at Christmas time and any of the holidays for the most part, that's about it. And for my middle brother, he doesn't really like to keep in touch with us very frequently at all. And that's okay. Sometimes we'll get some text messages. Sometimes we won't. But the texts are probably the best format for him. So I don't know if that helps, but I think finding a way to connect with the person the ways that they like to connect can be most helpful. Aaron asks, your podcast is so inspiring and wonderful. I look forward to it every single week. One question I have for you is, how can you design or decorate a beautiful and functional space on a small budget? I'm a college student and I love your style. I'm trying to become more design savvy, but it's so hard on a college budget. Any tips are appreciated. Aaron, I love this. First of all, I'd say go to the Pinterest. Go to the Pinterest. There are so many cool DIYs done on crazy budgets. Also, gold spray paint goes a long way. I probably used about five to six cans of gold spray paint here in Ann Arbor, and it has really changed a lot. Paint and spray paint can do wonders. So keep that in mind as well. And then I would say look up your thrift stores and your Craigslist. As I was doing the home tour guide of where I got everything for our Austin house, because it's going to be running on Thursday as well as a home tour, I realized that most of the things were thrifted and Craigslist, and those are all the things that add the uniqueness and the flavor to our house. And the fact is, they were actually some of the more affordable pieces. There's only been a few splurges where they've been more expensive or as expensive as new pieces, but most of the time, they're better quality, more unique, and cheaper. So really lean into your thrifting and your Craigslist for awesome pieces that you can either make over or already have great style. Meggie asked, 
I can happily say I'm living a life that I'm proud of. I'm living in myself and as myself. It feels good. However, sometimes I feel very guilty because of my privilege. How do I keep continuing to check my privilege as someone who is significantly less oppressed than so many people, but keep the joy I've worked so hard for? Meggie, I think this is a great question, and I think that what it is, what might be going on here, is it kind of might feel like a stagnant pool. I look at energy and resources as water. And if you think about water sitting in a stagnant pool or like a river or a lake that's not moving, things start to get yucky, bacteria starts to grow. Nothing really good happens when it all just kind of festers in on itself. So maybe in order to feel better about this privilege idea, I would say also on the topic of the privilege thing, be grateful. No one wants someone to suffer. So you not suffering means you have more resources to bring that those are that are suffering. So stop maybe looking at it as privilege, but look at it as opportunity to help others who need it. So for yourself, look at ways you can start getting more energy and flow into that water. So maybe you have an abundance of water. Well, the way it's gonna feel best cleanest, freshest, most exciting in terms of water can be is to move it along. So I would look at ways you can start using your resources, money, time, and talent to help others in need. If you're an amazing graphic designer, maybe you start helping nonprofits that can really use a facelift. If you have just like a lot of money and you're a lawyer and you have more money to give than you have time, Start making contributions to your local nonprofits who can use that to benefit the people in your community that need it. If you don't have a lot of money, but you have more time, use it to donate and help in other ways like Habitat for Humanity. Make sure that you pay it forward. I myself with my work that I do, choose to put 10% of my earnings towards building a school through Pencils of Promise. We're not there yet, but I'm working on it and I can't wait to get there. And what helps me when I earn all the money I earn through my resources like the sponsorships, And the class is knowing that this is going to help build a school as well. It's going to help myself. It's going to help the students in my class change their lives. And it's going to change the lives of other students who don't have these resources or access. So for myself, that would be my highest suggestion for you is start to give in any way that you can so that stuff feels like it's flowing rather than feeling stagnant and stuck in your resources alone. Next up, Emily asked, what are some things you hope to do in your life outside of your career? This is a great question, Emily, and an interesting one for me right now. I am so shocked and grateful and happy about my career. I can't even tell you. I've worked 10 years to get to this point where I'm doing the work I'm doing now and I'm so grateful for every moment of the 10 years that it's taken. I have loved those moments just as much as this one. I just can't believe it's actually here where I'm interviewing my heroes and I am talking with people that truly inspire me. And when it comes to what I want to do outside of my career, it's actually getting to the point where they're somewhat intertwined. I want to travel the world. I want to help people in live event settings because I find that I get so much energy out of actually just sitting down and talking with people face to face. But I also, in that vein of thinking, want to have an adventurous life as well and try that travel into things that influence and improve my quality of life as a person doing new things. I'm not even sure the things specifically I'd want to do when I travel, but I'll just say I 
also really want to have a beautiful home. That's always been an ego value for sure. But also I think there is some real uppercase V values behind it too. I'd like to have a family in some way, some point or another. And I really am determined. And the more I have gone down this path, the more I'm convinced I want to keep growing as a person. The more growth I do personally, the more it benefits every aspect of my life. So one of the other things I want to do in my life outside of my career is to continue to get guidance through classes, through courses, through one-on-one mentorships, you name it. I really love the guidance that comes with this life that I am creating for myself. I have a mentor kind of spiritual person that I see on a regular basis. I've seen her for several years, but now we're seeing each other even more frequently. And this has just been so helpful to keep things clear for myself in my own life. So I have that clarity to bring to other areas of my life or into my career as well. I also see someone who's kind of a I don't want to call her a spiritual guide, but kind of in that direction as well. And yeah, those two resources, those two people helping me have just made a huge difference and I'm just so grateful. In addition, I look forward to traveling and seeing my friends and family more. They're across the country and Ann Arbor is lovely, but I definitely want to make sure that I don't just put my roots here. I want to have the roots and the home base so that I can fly away and come back when needed. So that's what I'm looking for outside of my career. Julia asked, what is your favorite place that you have traveled and where is on your travel bucket list? My favorite place that I've traveled. I've loved Europe. I've gone there a few different times and that has been wonderful. I really liked London and I watch Mimi Icon and Viviana does makeup and they are both in London who have YouTube channels. So I'm definitely keeping London on my radar and on my travel bucket list is Australia. I have been fascinated by the women I have had the delight to know and to follow like Rachel McDonald and Tara Bliss who have been on the lively show as well. And I just really, really want to see Australia. I keep telling anyone I know or meet through the show or through my work that live in Australia that it is my dream to go there. I'm looking to find a way to go for work so that I can find a way to finance that trip. It's not an inexpensive trip or flight to make. So I'm looking to find some way I can serve and work in Australia and then also travel there as well. And also to New Zealand, because my favorite wine of all time is New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and I would love to do a wine tour there. Lindsay asked, wanting to live a life with intention, sometimes it is and should be hard to make the choices we have chosen, like eating well and living mindfully. Do you agree? Disagree? I'd love to hear your experience and how you balance this. Self-compassion versus persistence and pushing. Lindsay, I think this is such an interesting topic. I think that in different times of my life, different values have felt harder to live than others. So I don't know if I have a fully formed, perfect answer for you. I can say that the persistence in pushing is either created by the ego or is pushing through the ego to do what you want to do that's most important to you. So self-compassion always, you always want to keep the self-compassion, but that doesn't mean that you give yourself self-permission to walk all over your values and not follow them. Self-compassion means when you struggle and you fall, you brush yourself off and you give yourself a hug. But persistence is also saying, I'm not going to let the ego try to derail me constantly. I'm going to be gently moving forward. I think that's a way to look at it, maybe. Gently moving forward is better than beating yourself up, not moving at all, or making constant excuses for why you should stay stuck in the patterns you have. 
Also, getting help from other people who are professionals that can really help you get to the root of the problem, not just looking at the issues that are presented. For example, you don't want to just go to Weight Watchers like I did when I had eating issues. It wasn't about the food, it was about my mindset. So I really needed a resource like Janine Roth's Women, Food, and God in order to check out my mindset and fix the root cause. So sometimes that can be helpful as well. And I think sometimes just going around the mountain a bunch of times and keep following and following the same footsteps, the same patterns you've had before, eventually you start to notice the trip. You notice where the hole is and you start to go, huh, that's what I do. Let me see if I can find a way around it. What's really most important to me? And then try baby step by baby step, moment to moment, living that value, even if it's just for a few seconds, for a few minutes or a few days, that is enough. And then when you fall out of it, get right back in the pose. It's kind of like yoga. When you're balancing in tree pose, it's hard to stay perfectly balanced. It's not even that you're supposed to stay perfectly balanced. It's just about finding that moment of balance again and again, as often as needed. Sierra asked, maybe you could share your morning and evening routine that sets you up for success. As I mentioned earlier, I've kind of shared my morning routine. My evening routine is getting ready for bed, watching some Murder, She Wrote, and reading. I also like to do my gratitude journal in the evenings as well, if I feel like it, but I try to play that one by ear and not force myself to. So far, I've been finding that I really look forward to it in the mornings, and sometimes I look forward to it in the evenings if it's not too late and I'm not too tired, but I don't try to make that a forced should. And... Other than that, I also love the Dome machine, D-O-H-M machine. It's a little sound fan machine that helps drown out the sounds of the dog snoring or moving or kicking. So that's something I love in my routine. And I also like using lavender essential oils. I put them on my wrists and on my neck to help me soothe myself in the evenings as well. So that's another little piece of my evening routine. Lindsay asked, what do you do when you hit a roadblock? Not an external one, but a mental and personal one. How do you get motivated when you hit roadblocks? Do you give yourself time, journal, seek out a mentor? Would love your advice here. Yes, I would say all of those things are wonderful. Giving yourself time to understand what's going on is wonderful. Journaling to your intuition, which you can see how to do at jesslively.com slash intuition is also a, a powerful way to figure out what's going on with the roadblock and seeking out my mentors that I mentioned earlier is huge. So I love all of those things. Basically, Lindsay, all the things. Next up, Christy asked, how do you keep your calm and really listen to what your guests are saying while still getting all the information your audience is craving, especially when you're nervous? Thanks, Christy, for this question. Obviously, she's talking about the Lively Show here, how I stay calm when I have guests on the show and still getting all the information out there. Well, first of all, I will say I don't do video recordings on Skype for the show. I interview people with audio only. So all I have to do is listen. I can't look at them. I can't gotta go off in my own head. I just listen. I don't know if that's maybe a piece of it, but I think it helps me to listen is because that's the only thing I can do. I can't even look at them. And then when it comes to information your audience is craving, editing, editing, editing. My episodes, I wish they came on exactly as they are when you hear them. And obviously everything that was shared is shared live. I'm not re-recording question answers or anything like that later, but I will say that I do a lot of editing to make sure that my questions come out clearly for you and that the answers are clearly understood. So editing is very helpful. I like to say that this is like an hour long transcript. And if you were to write a text, you would edit, you would delete things that are unclear, 
If you start over, you would delete the things that you had written previously. We do that with our shows to help it be as helpful for you as possible. And when I'm nervous, sometimes it's not that perfect. But like I said, I can go later and try to piece together what is the coherent question out of something that I shared or a coherent answer from the guest. So that kind of helps me. And as far as the nerves go, I don't know. I think I'm getting better at it slowly and surely one guest at a time. It was kind of crazy listening to Elizabeth Gilbert. I actually was pretty calm for some reason with her episode in particular, although editing, it got me all nervous. <laughs> actually hearing her voice in the editing, I couldn't believe I was hearing her voice on my show. But I don't know. I guess in the, in the moment, I was just reminding myself that we are all equal. We are all one. They are no different than I. And just kind of try to ground myself in that personhood that they are so that I'm not fangirling out. But that said, Viviana does makeup. I totally got excited about hers and I did a little bit of fangirling. So I guess it depends on the guest. Next up, Vanessa asked, how from so early on has your podcast quality been so high? How long do you prep, plan, deliberate on the idea? From idea to execution, how long does it take you to get it off the ground? All right, so each episode takes between 10 and 20 hours for myself and my assistant to get going, at least in our current format. I have a new producer coming on the show in November because my beloved, amazing Grace is going to be moving on in her career. She has new values she wants to explore, and I totally support her in doing so. So we're going to change up our system to a degree, but I will just say we put a lot of work into each episode. So it takes that amount of time per week to do show notes, execution, delivery of the recordings, to get coordinate things with the guests, and then to edit and get everything up and where you see it on Thursday morning or afternoon when it goes live. As far as the podcast, the lively show and getting that off the ground, I'm kind of fuzzy about how long it took it feels like so long ago when I started it. It's so funny. It's not even been two years, but it feels a full lifetime away now. So I can't really remember the timeline specifically for how long it took me to get started. I would say definitely several months and really it was just kind of procrastinating a little bit and just trying to figure things out. If anyone's looking to do podcasting, I always tell them to go to Pat Flynn's podcasting tutorial. Google it, Pat Flynn's podcasting tutorial. It's amazing. I used it step-by-step. You should too. It has all the answers you're looking for. The best thing out there. I totally don't even bother answering anyone's podcasting questions because all of them are answered in that tutorial and he does it 10 times better than I ever would in an email. So hopefully you guys can go check that out and get helped there. Next up, someone asked to stay anonymous and asked... I'm working the day job and working my own project that I'll hopefully get to take full time. That project is a longer, slower goal. And in the meantime, I'm finding myself increasingly impatient and hard to really get into the day job. Any tips on how to stay patient and present in this situation? I love this question. And I kind of hinted at it in the other answer I answered earlier in this episode, but I'll quickly say, Stop thinking that one moment is better than another. Your life, you are not guaranteed this project will actually happen. So stop assuming that it will and be grateful for the moment you have right now. Be grateful for your situation you have right now. I am now so grateful for where I am, but I also, even in the hard times, had to be grateful and live fully where I was or I would not be where I am right now. Having those panic attacks from cash flow with the jewelry business early on during the recession was not fun. But I stayed true to it. I knew what I was doing. I gave it my all and I served in the present moment. And that moment by moment, 10 years later, led me to where I am today. So I would first let your ego totally 
get a chill pill and recognize this moment of your life is the moment you have. Make the most of it. Fully appreciate it for better moments to come. Think about it. If you keep telling life, this isn't good enough, this thing isn't good enough, I'm not where I want to be, what is that? What are you saying to life? You're saying you're dissatisfied with it, which is going to be reflected back at you through life. So if you start to be grateful for it, more gratitude will be reflected back to you. So I would say, listen to your intuition, as I always encourage you guys, don't stay any longer than you need to in the job that you're in, as long as your intuition is telling you. But if your ego is just freaking out because it's not where it wants to be at, check it and recognize there is something you are meant to learn right now in this season of your life. And when you've learned that lesson, you're going to move on. So it's better for you to fully give yourself to this lesson to get through it quicker and more peacefully, most importantly, because all you're really looking for is joy and peace. And as Brooke Castillo said so eloquently in the episode on The Lively Show, you are fully capable of accessing every emotion you want to. You've only created a limiting belief that you have to wait till X happens in order for you to feel better. I know that's hard to hear because I was actually hearing that from her as she was telling me what I was struggling with. I was fully capable of feeling my feelings, but I was saying that I couldn't because I was putting this restriction on myself. And the same is true in this scenario. So fully stay present and patient and grateful for the values you're able to live right now so that the next ones come too. And there you have it. For show notes for today's episode, you can go over to jesslively.com slash birthday questions. I hope you enjoyed this. I tried to think of this one as a more casual episode where I was just kind of, if I was on the phone talking to you today, what would I say? So hopefully this helps you guys. And if anything didn't ring true for you, feel free to take what you like and leave the rest. I really encourage you to do so. And as always, you can find me on Jess C as in Cheesecake Lively on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. And until Thursday with Elizabeth Gilbert and our episode number 100, may something wonderful happen to you today. Bye.